Hey everyone, this is the Health Network Podcast. It's a space to connect all different health professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. It's also a podcast to empower listeners to prevent health problems. And I'm your host, Dr. Marcus. We spend a large portion of our lives at work, up to maybe a third of our lives. And our work life can contribute a great deal to our overall health. We may enjoy working and take care of ourselves, or we may be stressed, not sleep as well. And then maybe junk food and not take care of ourselves. So on the show today, we are lucky enough to have Marie Claire. She's a leadership speaker, facilitator, coach, consultant for creating a work environment to improve trust, performance, and thrive. And she works for world organizations such as Qantas, ATO, Seesaw, Picture Partners. And she's also an author of multiple books and recently released book, Trusted to Thrive. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank, thank you, Marcus. Great to be here. And so firstly, I'd like to ask, how did you become a leadership speaker, coach, author? What's well, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's uh, been a bit of a journey and it's not something that I decided at the age of 15 I wanted to do. It's uh, something that uh, happened quite organically. So I was running my own business with my husband, the video production company, and helping leaders and executive teams with training staff around the world. So putting together online training programs, and it was through that work that I actually noticed a gap in trust between the frontline workers and the, the leaders, particularly at the top. And because I had my own staff and was, was creating a really safe environment for them, I was kind of shocked that corporate wasn't doing that. Uh, so I made the brave move back in 2014 to actually teach leaders some steps to create trusted team cultures. Nice. And so in terms of some of the workplaces, were there specific examples where you can see like some of the um, staff, um, they, maybe their mental health was suffering or mm. there were, what kind of things did you see? Yeah, so about eight, nine years ago, I was doing a manual handling training video for a large glass manufacturer who had 3,000 staff, both in Australia and New Zealand. And one of the best things about the job that I did was I get to work with different levels of people across the organisation. So I was working with the CEO, then I worked with people in the executive leadership team and department heads and supervisors and also middle managers, training managers, safety managers, uh, I, I got the ability to work with. And what was really interesting was I knew this company really cared about their manual handling because let's face it, if someone gets a glass injury, it's pretty nasty. And so I knew that leaders really wanted the best for their employees. And what was surprising is that when I actually got the chance to go to the factory floor and direct some of the, the staff with the, tra the training that we were filming. What was interesting was that there was this very much this us versus them mentality, which I hadn't actually seen before when I was on the factory floor. And the reason for that was typically when the film crew came along, everyone would be really excited and go, oh, wow, we're gonna be famous, you know, jump around all excited, couldn't wait, you know, 
you had to kind of hold people back from being filmed. Mm-hmm. And it would lift morale. People would say, hey, look, the company is spending money on us. They really care about us and our training. So you'd see that, that jolt in uh, employee engagement. But what was interesting with this company was the us versus them mentality. The staff were a little bit tricky to work with, which was quite rare. And they had been selected to work with us. And uh, a couple of weeks after we left, that organisation went on strike. And I, I swear it was nothing to do with what I did. <laughs> and we didn't do anything. Uh, but it, and, and then when the training program got released, they had a launch party across Australia and New Zealand. And the executive general manager travelled across the country, you know, to launch the training program. And what was fascinating for me was that the, the employees were taking their little beautiful graphic designed employee handbooks that we created and chucking them in the bin uh, and letting the EGM see that. And so when I asked how the tour was going, I was told, oh, they're throwing the manual. Some, are, some people are throwing the little books away. And I was devastated because I'd spent a bit of time organising for those <laughs> to be graphic designed and they were really in a language to make people feel, you know, supported and cared for and really easy to understand. And so I took it personally. But at the time I had this blog uh, the Workplace Communicator blog, and I was writing articles every week. And one of the articles I was really focusing on, in fact, I ended up creating a training program around it, was supervisors. And what I discovered in the research I was doing was how they're the linchpin in an organisation because they take the information from the senior leaders, bring it down to the front line, and they build trust between both those uh, levels, which is really, really critical for employee engagement in an organisation. And so I said to this organisation, well, the issue is we didn't get the supervisors involved. We need to get them on board first. Uh, And that was the shock. When I looked at all the people that I'd spoken to and worked with to create this training program, we had not talked to the supervisors. So in the end, we were actually creating a program that made people feel like it was another thing being done to them, not for them. Mm-hmm. And trust was missing. And I found that fascinating. And I decided that I was going to build a business around that, which was really, when I look back, a silly leap of faith. Uh, but anyway, that's what I did. Uh, and, you know, back then in 2014, leaders didn't quite get it. And, and it has evolved and changed a lot. And COVID, if anything, has really made leaders more aware of how important it is that employees feel cared for and supported. And, you know, so many things have changed since then, which is fantastic. Yes, cool. And, yeah, I know that there's been workplaces I've been at and it, there hasn't been that trust. There has been, like, micromanaging and then, yeah, although it, it might be stressful, just a bit stressful when it's there like all the time and for such a long time, then it can be really stressful and it can be difficult. And I've lost mm-hmm. sleep with stress relating to the trust at work. So mm. it's really good that you're doing that. I'm sure you're benefit, benefiting heaps of people. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. I Early in my career, like I, I started in micro research and I loved it. You know, I loved running, you know, surveys and going through the data and writing reports. And I travel the country doing focus groups and in-depth interviews and 
working on really big government health programs and advertising campaigns and all sorts of things. And I loved it. And I ended up working for a small market research firm. And it, it was pretty much the end of my career in that industry. And I had a very toxic boss. He was, he was an alcoholic. Uh, he owned the, the company. And how I was treated was just devastating. Like uh, every day I was criticised and made fun of. They made fun of, I just got married and they'd make fun of my husband. And, and in the end, I ended up resigning and I couldn't work properly for, for months. And, you know, looking back now, it was pretty obvious it was post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Um, but I, I realised I never wanted to work in an organisation like that. And I ended up running my own business, I think, two years later, uh, joined forces with my husband, and I vowed to not create an environment that made people so sick and so, you know, really reduce people's self-esteem and self-worth because it, it's just so damaging. And it, it did take me years to recover from that. Mm. Yeah, I've also had experience when I was working with a boss who was, like, criticising me all the time and I... I didn't, I lost my interest for my work and then, mm. yeah, it really does damage your self-esteem and then you lose, you don't really like learn as much and grow and it felt like quite stagnant during that time. But then, yeah, it does teach you a lot about how important it is to yeah, find a good workplace. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, one of the things I, I feel that we need to introduce is like a leadership pledge. Mm-hmm. where leaders actually have to sign a document where they pledge to do no harm to people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in medicine, our doctors are not meant to do any harm to patients. Well, we should also have one for leaders where they actually consciously are aware of how their leadership behaviours and how they interact with people can damage people mentally. Because mm-hmm. uh, emotional abuse, which is really what it is at some, at some level, can be so... Um, it's not really seen like a a physical abusive type of relationship where you have physical scars but emotional scars you don't show but it can impact you more long term Uh, so I'd love to see like a leadership pledge where you know leaders have to sign a document that they're not going to intentionally hurt people emotionally and actually work towards that and then also, the staff would know that they're signing that document and the leader is hurting them emotionally or breaking that contract and they can speak with the leader and, and yeah. accountability. And, it, yeah. and employees should sign it as well because, you know, we can have colleagues yeah. that are quite toxic and damaging. It's also employees have to do the right thing. But leaders, of course, need to hold people to that standard and model the right behaviours. Yeah. Good. What techniques do you use to create thriving workplaces and build trust? Like in organisations where there are like a lot of problems and maybe like an us versus them mentality where they're not working as a team? Yeah, so it always starts with the leadership team. So the top leaders and those that are running the organisation need to really look at how they communicate, prioritise and work together as one because everyone in an organisation actually looks to those leaders on how they behave. 
And then following that is, is actually working with leaders in terms of giving them the skills to create an environment that people want. So because of COVID, there's been a bit of a shift in how people want to be led. And to be honest, it's how we've always wanted to be led, but leaders just weren't doing it. But now there's this real need for people to feel cared for and supported. And I, th I think because of a lot of people having anxiety and issues and feeling overworked during COVID has really put the importance forward of creating that environment where people can thrive. And what I unpack in my book, Trusted to Thrive, called the Integrated Trust Building Framework. And it's based on the fact that our brains are always scanning the environment to make sure that we're safe. And without us even knowing it, it's asking questions such as, do these people like me? If I make a mistake, will they still accept me for who I am? And am I connected to these people? Do I belong here? Is the work that I'm doing meaningful? Or do, is there a future career plan for me? Is there the possibility for career development? And when a leader actually answers those questions subconsciously to people, so through either verbal communication or through their actions and nonverbal communication, then people feel that they can trust the situation. And, you know, I, I really see trust as being the heart of any successful team. And what I believe that organisations need to do to really help people to thrive is have leaders who know how to create psychological safety and create connection and help people to really see the future and where they're going as a team and what the rewards will be. Because when we have to work so hard, we want to know that the effort will be worth it. And so if you imagine a Venn diagram with at the top, you've got safety and connection and meaningful future. And then the intersections, the one at the top between safety and connection is well, what I call meetings and one-on-one. So it's really important that leaders actually build that safety and connection when they're having face-to-face -face time with people. And, and then visibility is at the intersection of connection and future. And that's really important because as human beings, we need to be able to see that we're safe and we don't trust a situation if we feel that information is hiding or being hidden from us. And we also want to see our leaders and we want to get, let them see us working as well so that they understand our experiences, but particularly uh, health professionals, you know, for, for nurses that are on the front line with the dentists, you want your boss to know what it is that you're going through as well. So at the intersection between safety and stepping into a meaningful future, we have accountability. And accountability is really interesting because like anything to do with trust, it's two ways. So it's about the leader being accountable and it's also about demanding accountability from their people as well. And so you can see this integrated framework as being like, the, the ropes that keep people tethered to a spaceship. So if you can imagine that you're the captain of a spaceship and you need one of your staff members to go out and do a spacewalk, to do an experiment or to test out some equipment on the, the ship, they are obviously tethered to the ship so that they don't float away. And this actually creates safety for people 
but it, it also lets people know that they're connected and that they're going to have a future. They're not going to be, you know, lost in space. And that's essentially what we're trying to do as leaders, help people to actually feel like that they're valued, that they're wanted and appreciated. And, you know, when we do that, it, it creates a really healthy, productive team environment. Nice. And also um, in terms of common issues with workplaces, um, I'll give you some scenarios and then um, could you please give some tips on like what could be done in these scenarios? So for example, there might be like a young staff member who's not very like confident, very quiet, and it's very hard to give them feedback. They might be very sensitive. And what kind of things, what kind of approaches would you use? Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. And it's a really common one, particularly for young employees. So this is really where the framework works fairly beautifully, because it's about creating safety for people to feel safe. And if you've got a young person who's just entered the workforce, that you know, they're filled, absolutely filled with self doubt and fear of doing the wrong thing and questioning whether they're, you know, got the right approach. And you know, their self talk can be quite negative. So as leaders, this really is an opportunity for us to spend time with them in one-on-ones, really amplifying that face-to-face time with them to actually help guide them and give them the opportunity to ask us questions and to you know share insights on how they can improve what they're doing. And you know, some people don't feel comfortable speaking up and it is a process because we all are different in our confidence levels. Uh, But with the right approach uh, and really spending the time to help them and letting them know that they're safe and things are going to be okay and and doing that, um, you know, it's it's interesting. I uh, was working with a leadership team this morning as it was and the the CEO was doing everything he could to create a safe environment and he very much wanted that and he he actually rated out of 10 his ability to create safety for people at I think it was 40 percent and and his team rated it at six at 65 percent so he was really trying to do what he could and, and people could see that but they still weren't safe enough to speak up and what was interesting was that he was shutting people down without realizing it because when people would speak he'd, he'd cut them off or he'd jump in and, and give his advice and so we really have to as leaders really lead through asking questions and listening more so than constantly just telling people what to do Um, which goes back to the example of the training program and you know people were just sick of that company telling them what to do they really wanted to be consulted and feel as if they mattered and it's that inclusiveness where we're really consulting with people and showing them that we we think they're smart enough to have the answers that can be really critical for our leadership. Yes, cool. And what type of um, questions would you recommend the leaders telling, asking the staff? Yeah, so open-ended questions uh, and questions that get people to even reflect and think about what they're doing. So questions that start with a how or a what, 
um, are really critical. Uh, but, you know, avoid questions that start with a why. You know, why did you do this? Because it sounds like you're telling people off. Uh, so, you know, getting, even just leading people, you know, the word question has the, the word, is a derivative, oh, is a derivative? Well, it's got the word quest in it. So we also want to think about the journey we want to take people on, and we can do that through questions. Uh, so, you know, really amazing leaders ask really incisive questions that are curious. They're not with, you know, they're not kind of, um, they don't have that blame kind of edge to them and, and gives people to really think for themselves and start to realize and feel more confident in their own abilities in the workplace as well. Yeah, that sounds really good. I can, yeah, imagine a staff member that's really quiet, like asking questions and getting them to communicate more and making them feel comfortable and that really benefiting them. And yeah, yeah. also, um, there might be, I've heard of some um, workplaces where there's staff members and then they like really hate each other and it's like very difficult to like break through there. Do you have any tips or? Yeah, that's a really tricky one and, and it depends on who they are. So um, are, are these team members in a team? Yeah, so members in a team. Yeah, so sometimes that really needs one-on-ones with each of them and then bringing them together to actually work on resolving the conflict. I, I actually don't specialise in conflict mediation, but there are people that do, and sometimes you do need to um, bring that in um, because it's it's totally unacceptable to have people in conflict because it's just really awful for everyone else around them as well. Yes. And yeah, also if there was a situation where the staff were lacking engagement and they were doing like the minimum amount of work and very like disinterested, how would the leader uh, motivate them to be more engaged? Yeah. So I call that, um, in my team zone model, the apathy zone. So this is where people tend to have low, they feel that there's low safety and there's low accountability. So they're really not delivering. And so the leader needs to actually just get them into the, what I call the abatement zone, which is where people um, feel that there's safety, uh, but, you know, they're not delivering as much, but sometimes you have to increase the safety. So this really is a process of helping people at this level really see the purpose and the meaning of their work. And this can only be done one on one. It's not something you do in a team environment because they'll see that as cynical, but really working with them on a regular basis to see the value of the work that they're doing, the people that they're benefiting and empowering them to actually start to make goals and look at what they want to achieve in their job and what career development opportunities that they that they need to improve their skills and showing them what good looks like and the or great looks like to be honest and what that looks like and where their skills gaps are and challenging them to actually reduce that gap but it takes a lot of work 
And it really needs a leader who's prepared to take them on that journey. Very good. And if there is a leader who um, is, doesn't like the team meetings, like with the big team, because they feel like it could be unproductive where a lot of time has been wasted maybe in the past with other meetings and then they're not so keen on them, what would you suggest? Yeah, well, you know what? With all the work I've done with leaders, I've never met a leader who's a good leader that doesn't have meetings. Actually, that could be worded better. So basically, you know, any leader that doesn't want to have a meeting, in my opinion, isn't a good leader. And that's because we need that regular communication. So I do a lot of interviews in companies to find out what employees need from leaders to trust the situation. And it was it, it's often the case that if a meeting has been missed, like their monthly meeting or their weekly meeting, and sometimes that's due to circumstances outside of the organization's control, but the leader might have stopped a meeting that was a regular meeting, people freak out. Uh, they actually need that time with their leader to feel connected to them and to each other. And it is a time to really unblock some of the issues and for the leader to find out what's going on, where people need help. So if a leader really feels like team meetings are a waste of time, then they need to change their approach and how they lead meetings because that's usually the key. And, and changing the, the habits and, and how a meeting is led can make such a huge difference for not only the leader, but also for people as well. And it will also reduce them having to you know, um, put out fires because people are having lots of issues. And that's usually a case because there aren't regular meetings. Good. And um, what is your vision for the future of work environments and creating like healthy environments and improving people's health? Yeah, well, I actually believe that business is a force for good. And I really believe that you know, when we go to work and we're doing work that we love with people that we love hanging out with, it is so good for our well-being and our confidence levels. And we really, the vision I have for the future are workplaces where people are working, not because it's a job, not because they want to earn money, but because the work that they're doing is fulfilling and that they have leaders and a supportive team culture that helps them to be the best that they can be. You know, we thrive when we have goals, when we are learning new things, and when we have a leader that challenges us to be the best version of ourselves. So my vision of the future are leaders who can create that environment and who people who just wake up in the morning excited about going into work and learning and sharing ideas and contributing with others. Very good. Yeah, I do um, speak to a lot of patients and people who um, have a lot of stress at work and then it impacts you know, on their, they might be grinding their teeth or not sleeping and there's a lot of issues and yeah, creating that environment is really meaningful and you're very inspiring. Yeah, well, can you imagine, like, you know, if people go to work and have an amazing day and they feel respected and valued and appreciated, they're going to get into their car, 
they're going to drive home. They're not going to have road rage. They're going to be cool with the traffic. They're going to come home. They're not going to kick the dog or kick the cat. Um, they're going to be nice to their kids and their, their partner. Um, the flow on effect to society is actually huge if people actually feel meaning in their lives and really feel valued. Like it, you know, I reckon it would stop wars. I reckon there'd be world peace. That's my thing. Wow. <laughs> that's a big that's a big vision <laughs> that's really cool i feel like really motivated to improve yeah the workplaces and um, there was a lot of great tips in there about for leaders and for staff to have yeah really great workplaces that they can thrive and feel trusted yeah yeah and it's just that really yummy space that we all crave you know, when we look back at our lives, it's, you know, the times when we've been with other people. And it, sometimes it's also when we've been in a team that has actually, you know, gone from nothing to something amazing. And, you know, that that work was just might have been stressful because some stress is healthy. But in the end, we felt like we really created something as a team that we could never have created on our own. And that's, you know, that is so, oh, you know, it just warms our hearts up and just gives us joy. And that's what life's all about, really. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and to keep up to date with the latest, follow the Health Network podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Please consider leaving us a review and share if you know someone that could benefit from this. Let's unite health professionals and prevent health problems. 